the intersection of Christian thought and Christian living is God's standard of holiness. It's time to stop avoiding issues and talk about where we stack up after asking some hard questions. We are encountering Christ through conversation. This is the Amos 77 Project. Welcome to another edition of the Amos 77 Project. I'm Jimmy, and I'm going to be your guide as we navigate the corridors of Christian thought. I do not know if you've heard or not, but in the news recently, there was another Christian pastor who took his life. I'm not going to say his name out of respect for his family, but he was a successful pastor, church planner, and contributor to a seminary in his denomination. Any person who succumbs to suicide is a tragedy, but when this sort of thing happens in Christian society, it's always amazing to me the religious experts who fall out of the woodwork. I'm going to begin this podcast by stating that I'm not here to condemn him, his ministry, or the followers in his circle of influence. The consequences of suicide reach farther than people realize and do not stop at the person who committed suicide when they are gone. The people who were close to him will grapple with the range of emotions for the rest of their lives. They will replay the series of events leading to his suicide over and over trying to rationalize why they did not see the warning signs or how they could have responded in another way to achieve a different outcome. Most times, all of the questions they have will go unanswered. Couple this with the pain and loss and it becomes an almost unbearable burden. Suicide that affects the body of Christ always brings a heightened level of shock and disbelief. When it is a spiritual leader, deep lines of division appear. People begin to weigh in with their opinions, which turn into deadly rocks of accusation they throw at everybody and everything that does not agree with them. This is the kind of behavior that walks hand in hand with our culture today, and things like suicide show us how much culture has permeated the church. To every assumption, a rock is thrown. Questions about faith or lack of it. Questions about spirituality or lack of it. Questions about fidelity or lack of it. It is amazing how fast people go from bystander to religious authority on behavior and doctrine. All of them carefully lining up to take their shot and throw their rock at the deceased. All the time, they miss their mark. The person they are throwing rocks at have already passed through the veil into eternity and can no longer be wounded. These rocks of judgment hit friends, family, and loved ones of the deceased. Every hit they take adds to their grief and frustration that they are already experiencing. It's times like these when people just cannot help themselves when it comes to situations like this, and Christians are no exception. They never were around to encourage or offer anything edifying before the suicide happened, but now they feel compelled to offer their oversight and commentary to anyone who listen. It's interesting to me how fast their words draw ears that are willing to listen. I want to speak to the body of Christ today to make you aware of some things before you feel the need to offer your critique over a situation involving a suicide that happens in the body of Christ. Let's go to the Bible first. The book of John, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, tells the story about a woman caught in adultery. Most of us have heard of it. In case you haven't, The religious leaders brought a woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus to be judged and then executed. Some commentary even suggests that she was kidnapped from the bed in her house where she lay with her lover and was brought through the city streets of Jerusalem naked into the courtyard of the temple. The penalty for adultery in those days was death by stoning. Religious leaders gathered an angry mob armed with rocks as they dragged the woman through the city streets to the temple courtyard. 
every one of them eagerly ready to carry out the sentence. They stood her naked before Jesus Christ to test him to see if he would mishandle the law of God. This was also punishable by death. They were looking to kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. As they demanded a verdict from Christ, he simply stooped down and began to write in the dust on the ground with his finger. They persisted, and the shouts of the mob holding rocks began to echo the questions put forth by the religious leaders. They wanted Jesus to pick a side, justice according to the word of God, or mercy according to their interpretation of Jesus' teaching. After some time, Christ stood and faced them. He looked out and met the gaze of the mob poised to throw rocks at either her or him, depending on his answer. The mob quieted to hear him, and Jesus simply stated, He who was without sin should be the first to throw a rock. After delivering this simple address, the Lord stooped back down and continued writing in the dirt with his finger. One at a time, the voices that were so loud and demanding justice began to quietly drop the rocks in defeat. One by one, you could hear the rocks hit the ground as the accusers departed. When they were all gone, Jesus stood and asked the woman, Where have all of your accusers gone? Still looking at the ground, she quietly told him that none of them remained. Jesus looked at her and said he did not condemn her either. She was to leave and not sin anymore. Here is the way this story applies. Always be wary of what people are willing to bring up to illustrate their point, not to mention the amount of deflection they are willing to create to demonstrate sin in someone else's life. The religious leaders had previous knowledge that the sin this woman was involved in was happening. Infidelity is never done out in the open. It's always hidden from view until it's discovered or revealed. This means the religious leaders were party to what was going on or had been informed by someone who thought they could better themselves by using the sin as leverage. They also could have been covering for someone else by giving only one individual credit for the sin. They used the life of someone to illustrate their point. Their guilt is evident in the fact that they probably could have prevented the sin from taking place by confronting the parties before it happened, but they willfully chose not to. The second thing is there are always two sides to every story. The fact that they brought the woman only and not the man, tells you that they were only interested in the facts that benefited them. It was evident that the woman was involved in a sinful situation, but the other person involved was quietly excluded. The religious leaders brought a naked woman into the temple complex. The very act of this was shameful in of itself. Just touching her made them unworthy and unclean to be in the temple, yet no one even considered this. Trying to point out sin in someone else's story usually leads you to all the sin you ignored in yours. Christ mentions this very thing in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Which brings me to my third point. There are always plenty of people who can't wait to gather a crowd and throw rocks, but there are very few people who are willing to defend with mercy. We live in a society where nameless, faceless cowards are given a voice and a platform to issue justice. We call them trolls, people who hide in the shadows, and throw out their remarks that are aimed to maim, wound, and sometimes kill. When confronted one-on-one, -on -one, they usually disappear without a fight. The woman was forgiven, but she still had to find her way home. Remember, I told you that she was brought naked into the temple courtyard. Jesus forgave her of her sin, but she still had to make the long journey home, and she was still naked. She probably passed by many of the people who just a few moments ago 
we're ready to throw rocks at her. Jesus forgives us of our sin, but we are not always absolved of the consequences of our sin. Like the woman, we must make our way through life naked and exposed by some of the things that we have done. Sometimes when we are at our most vulnerable is when we can fall victim to the shame of sin. This is the time when the body of Christ needs to offer their covering. This is where all the other people who've made their own walk of shame is time to come out of hiding and cover the fallen with understanding and love. Love covers a multitude of sins. It does not excuse them. This is where we should consider the situation carefully and ask ourselves, could that happen to me? Or what would I need during a time like this? We need to show love through actions that are sincere, not through empty words. Finally, this brings me to the fallen. Nobody but God knows the wars people are fighting and the depths of despair that causes people to take the paths they take. Seemingly good, solid, God-fearing Christians go through things and sometimes stumble. We're not immune. Those who answered the call to lead us are average, everyday men whom God raises up for ministry. They're not superheroes. Sometimes the weaker vessel has the greater use. The Apostle Paul said one time that he was under so much pressure that he was beyond his ability to endure and thought he would not live through it. Elsewhere in the Bible, we are told that not only do we have to deal with the temptations of the flesh, but we also have a war that takes place in the spiritual realms against the rulers, authorities, and the powers who govern this world of darkness, and spiritual forces that control evil in the heavenly world. The only way to win this battle is to take up everything God supplies. I'll be the first to say that sometimes we go to war unprepared and unarmed. According to the book of Daniel, we're told that it is Satan's job to wear out the saints. Without Jesus Christ, men are not able to withstand the trickery of Satan. Many fall into the traps of temptation because of pride or hopelessness and cannot find their way out. Our leaders have a tough job balancing the call of God and the call of the flesh. It takes a humble heart, sore knees, and a bent back to keep Jesus close and darkness at bay. Add to that the stress of the day-to-day demands of managing people, personalities, resources, and it becomes a daunting task. Men of God are constantly compared to some of their more successful counterparts and the formulas that created them. People are sometimes oblivious to the -the behind-the-scenes work that goes on between pulpit visits and errantly believe pastors work only one day a week. This is what I want you, the Christian listener, to consider. The rock of righteousness is not something that you hold in your hand and use as a weapon to throw at somebody else. The rock of righteousness is someone whom we build our lives on. His name is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, let your words be seasoned with salt. This means that as a Christian, your words are to bring flavor, preservation, and healing to as many situations as possible. Thirty-something years ago, when I was about 16 years old, my father and I were traveling together. At that time, he was a pastor of a small church, and we were discussing a similar incident where a pastor who was in his peer group had a fall from grace which later resulted in his suicide. I remember commenting that I was sure that that pastor went to hell for committing suicide. I do not know what prompted me to say that, other than the fact that I was a product of a religious system that did not handle taboo subjects like suicide very well nor were they discussed out in the open. I clearly remember what my father said to me. He said, Jimmy, who died and made you that man's God? People lose battles every day, and you do not know the condition of that man's heart at the time he left this world. That man is in the hands of a righteous God 
who judges all hearts. Only he has the power to send to hell. Are you willing to discount all the good that man did for the kingdom of heaven because he lost his battle in a moment of weakness? Your job is not to judge. Your job is to pray for him and his family. Listen to me, friends. Our job is not to judge. Our job is to pray for the fallen and their families, not to talk about them. We need to embrace 1 Corinthians 13 definition of love. If we do not have love, we are nothing. If we do not make room at our tables and start talking, we will continue to lose brilliant minds and potential leaders who are able to do much for the kingdom. It is time to take action and make ourselves available to all who are hurting instead of being commentators or silent bystanders. For a few moments, I'm going to step out of the religious system and talk about a taboo subject called suicide so we can address it head on and how we should be acting as Christians. If you know someone who's battling something, go out of your way to give them your attention. Not the kind that enables destructive behavior, but the kind that gives someone assurance that you notice them and that they matter. If you think that they're depressed enough to consider suicide, you know it's okay to ask them if they're going to commit suicide. They may be waiting for an opportunity to talk out their problems with someone who's willing to listen. A person considering suicide has lost their will to live. They are blinded by hopelessness and see suicide as a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Talking with them will help them regain this will to live. Realize your limitations, though, and don't be afraid to connect them with professional help. Pastor, psychologist, counselors, they're all helpful. These people that are willing to commit suicide and rationalize suicide are constantly looking for a way out. They are not constantly trying to find a way to end their life. Right now, they see suicide as the only option. Contrary to popular belief, there are warning signs. They may be subtle or sometimes only noticeable to those closest to the person who's rationalizing suicide. We live in a society that's constantly on the move. We do not recognize things or become aware of their intentions until it's too late. People who consider suicide talk about how good life will be when they're not here. They begin to give away their belongings and treasured possessions, and they behave more aggressively or recklessly. They experience dramatic mood swings, they begin abusing substances, and they withdraw socially. Witnessing such behavior can be distressing, but it also presents you with a chance to intervene and to get them the critical help before it's too late. Suicide affects people from all places in society. Remember when Robin Williams shocked the world? People who appear to have their act together are still at high risk if they show the warning signs I just talked about. Just because they look like they have it all together on the outside is no way of knowing of what's going on on the inside. Recovery after hitting rock bottom is not a guarantee either. It takes a lot of energy to attempt suicide, and when a depressed person is in the early stages of recovery, he or she might gain just enough energy to end their life. This is where emotional support is critical. If you suspect something, speak up. Become an accountability partner. Do not just give someone a hotline number or point them in the direction of a counselor and hope for the best. Show you care and become involved. Often, when we hear about suicide, it's in relation to someone who took his or her own life. This is what gets all the publicity. We never hear about the people who were reached in time and were able to talk to someone or were directed to help. 
experts agree that there are tremendous opportunities to intervene and prevent vulnerable people from doing the unthinkable. While such interventions may ultimately involve the work of mental health professionals, they often begin with family and friends. If your loved one is considering suicide, starting an honest conversation about it can be the first step toward getting them the help they need and saving their life. Always point them to Christ and His love for them. Be willing to listen. Be prayerful. Be honest. Be open. Be holy. There's always room for one more at Christ's table. Come join the conversation. I have listed suicide prevention resources in the description of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Amos 77 Project. We pray that you were informed and empowered by what was said. Please like and share. Leave a comment or contact us at amos77.project at gmail.com.